Welcome to the 340B Insider Podcast by RX Strategies. In this episode, client success, best practices for maintaining and optimizing a 340B program, co-hosts John Ginn and Rody Smith connect with Christina Breckenridge and Katie Gemma. They're both Senior Directors of Client Success for RX Strategies. Let's listen in. Hello, and welcome to the 340B Insider Podcast. My name is Jonathan Gen, and today's topic is client success, best practices for maintaining and optimizing a 340B program. Today, we're joined by Rody Smith, VP of Contract Pharmacy Sales, Christina Breckenridge, Senior Director of Client Success, and Katie Gemma, Senior Director of Client Success. So thanks everybody for joining. The first question goes to Christina. So Christina, what do you see as some of the top challenges facing 340B covered entities today? John, I think that one of the hot topics in 340B currently are the drug manufacturer restrictions that have been placed on contract pharmacies. But aside from that, I think that there also sometimes are lacking resources on the covered entity side, which of course that can create challenges, you know, with them being able to dedicate resources to a monitoring program and completing analysis that might be beneficial to optimizing those. Yeah, and that's a good point, Christina. Just um, just your the second pose of your question uh, or your answer is just, you know, you, you sort of mentioned that there are maybe staffing issues, time restrictions. Do you think it changed currently as of today? We have, what, 20-plus drug manufacturers that's blocking drugs from being dispensed to contract pharmacies. Do you think the staffing issues that we are currently having is because of that? Or do you think it's just been happening over the last 10 years, what's happening in the space? Or do you think it's currently the footprint? And that's why there's some stopping issues. Yeah, Rodi, I think that's a great point. Um, I, I'm sure that plenty of covered entities would say that they're, they're not new to, um, you know, staffing constraints and, you know, resources haven't always been plentiful. But I will say that in my experience, it sure seems like um, those constraints have become tighter recently due to those uh, manufacturer restrictions. I think that as programs have been impacted and you know the savings that has been seen to covered entities due to those restrictions, I do have several hospital systems that have had to make quite a number of cuts both across the board and as well as uh, particular staffing resources that they once were able to dedicate to the 340B program. So that's definitely a relevant component to that. Yeah, and do you also get, and maybe something, and I'm going to ask you, I'll ask Katie this later, but you as the Senior Director of Client Success, we always, because again, I think our partnership as a third-party administrator is twofold, meaning we have a relationship with our client, the covered entity, and also the contract pharmacy, really, really important. Do you feel that there are some contract pharmacies um, that's currently um, sort of your client as well that do reach out to you and asking you specific rules on some of those drug manufacturers? Do they need guidance as well? Because sometimes I think um, the industry in general focus on the covered entity, but they don't focus on the co- on the contract pharmacy as well. So do you have sort of like a, a protocol that you have in place to communicate the business rules to uh, the the contract pharmacies as well? Yeah, Rody, that's a great question. I do think that that's one of the benefits to creating good partnerships between covered entities, contract pharmacies, and the third-party administrator. I do get a lot of questions, both from the covered entity as well as the contract pharmacies regarding the restrictions specifically. You know, contract pharmacies are 
um, you know, not seeing drugs replenished, but, you know, they were still receiving patients that are walking in perhaps that, you know, would, would once have counted on um, those, those products being subsidized um, and those costs being covered that, that there just aren't resources to allow that to happen any longer. You know, some of the processes are, are confusing, you know, what's allowed, what's not allowed in which instances they are, you know, if a pharmacy is going to be designated. And so there, there really are some complexities to consider with regard to those polls. And so I think that having, you know, the resources at your fingertips, both to have answers to your questions um, when you have them both from the covered entity side, as well as the contract pharmacy side, really can help um, maximize those um, savings and then, you know, ensuring that the patients are being seen um, at the right pharmacies to receive the products they need. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Christina, are there, when you're working with these resource constrained covered entities, are there strategies that you use to help them most effectively utilize the resources that, that they do have? Well, John, I don't know that I would say that just in general, that there's one particular thing, you know, always to to do. Again, I think that this is one of the areas where really forming a good partnership uh, maximizes those benefits. You know, if I'm working with a covered entity that has, you know, a lot of resource constraints, but they've got really strong uh, relationships with their contract pharmacies, maybe the contract pharmacies will ask those questions directly to the covered entity. And so their lack of resources, that's an area where they would lean on us. But perhaps analyzing data, you know, isn't their strong suit. So in those instances, maybe that's how they would find most benefit from that partnership at our strategy. So I think that um, in these uh, types of situations, it really just kind of depends. You know, if, if they've recently lost a data analyst and that's not a strong point, then I think that that's the area where, um, you know, they know that they can lean on RX strategies more in that way. Understood. Appreciate those insights. Uh, how about you, Katie? Uh, same question. What, what are you seeing out there as some of the top challenges for the covered entities that you're supporting? Thanks, John. I would definitely uh, mirror what Christina is saying about the manufacturer blocks. Uh, my main book of business is more the, the federally qualified health centers. Um, so they are currently having the struggle because not all of the manufacturers who are coming out are targeting the FQHCs, but they some of them are. Um, so it's getting harder and harder for them to not want to submit data to ESP. So they're, they're, they're struggling with that decision because a lot of the savings is being taken away. Secondly, I would, I would definitely say the data factor is, is a big deal for the covered entities because some of the, they're, they're giving us as much data as they possibly can. The more data, obviously the better with COVID happening, the telehealth uh, encounters have become 340B eligible. So it's a challenge to make sure that we're getting the telehealth. We're making sure that when the telehealth is coming through, that they're giving that to our strategies as well, because some of them have omitted it, um, not purposely, obviously, but because they just didn't realize. So I would definitely say manufacturers and data are probably the two biggest challenges. Yeah. And Katie, just a follow-up question. Thank you for that. I know you made a comment about FQHC struggle with deciding if they want to sort of share data on ESP. Uh, and based on what Christina is saying as well, do you think, again, it is the resources from a manpower that they are limited? Or do you think it's pressure from the drug manufacturers that's forcing these FQHCs to use ESP so that they can get some savings? Because now we know 
we have to block as a third-party administrator, we have to block those NDCs, and not just the NDCs, but the formulary based on those NDCs. And do you think it's, it's pressure for them to lose so much savings that they need to use ESP? Is that the, the, the struggle that they're having? Or do you think it's a manpower struggle? I would definitely, I, it's a little bit of both. I would say more the savings that they're losing out on because I've done some analysis for them of the fallout because within the ARC strategy system, we can see the claims that are only being disqualified as 340B because of the manufacturer block. So when I'm showing them, these are the ones that you are losing only because we are omitting that NDC because of the manufacturer and they're seeing the level of savings. Um, I think that that is a big factor of their struggle because they, they want to stand firm with NAC. They also are seeing I'm losing X amount of dollars a year, which a lot of it is substantial from what I've seen, especially with the some of the, the manufacturers. So when they're seeing the level of savings that they're they're losing out on, FQHCs need that money to, to support their patients. So it's, they're, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and I know the aspect of savings coming back to the FQHCs, but to your point, you know, you, you focus on the FQHCs and they have responsibilities on the indigent patients. Mm -hmm. Now we know with indigent patients, some of those drug manufacturers are blocking drugs that they cannot get now, these patients. Are you seeing some of your uh, FQHCs now are struggling because of those uninsured patients cannot get their drugs replenished or even dispensed to them anymore? And what do they do? What do they do in the FQHC space, meaning to your clientele? Yeah, they they definitely are struggling because the patient can't get the medication. Some of them do have in-house pharmacies, so they, they may direct them to the in-house pharmacy to be able to obtain it. Um, but when they don't have that, then they are either asking the physicians to prescribe an alternative um, or the patient is, is, is at the medication. Yeah, and that's a sad part. Thank you, Katie. And so in, in the today's world of, of manufactured blocks, there's really never been a more important time to optimize a program. So for the next question, I'll, I'll go to you first, Katie. What are some of the opportunities that are out there for covered entities to proactively optimize their program? I would say um, regarding my book of business and, and the things that I've seen in, in my, my tenure at Arc Strategies with 340B, as we've talked about, everything's evolving within the 340B space. I think the best way to, to optimize the program is to review your capture rate when Arc Strategies has a tool within our platform that you can you can look at the capture rates and you can see where things are falling out. We have a claims review where you can go in and you can literally see the claims that are not qualified and you can see why they're not qualified. So that can help you twofold. One, help you get more savings because you can identify it as long as it's it's eligible via 340B, you can bring it into the 340B program. It also will help you find the gaps within your data. I've had a few covered entities where they're looking at the fallout and then they're saying, no, I know that this patient has an encounter. So then we work together to say, okay, well, 
did I get this data? Why wasn't it pulled in? Or was it not sent to me? That's how we kind of figured out some of the telehealth items. It just kind of helps to fold where, yes, you're having to go in first, but then if you identify the gaps in the data and we can fill in those gaps, your your program and your savings is going to be up. Awesome. Well, appreciate that insight. Um, Christina, same question goes to you. Are there opportunities for covered entities to proactively optimize their program? Yeah, I was I was just going to say along the lines what Katie was uh, mentioning, some of the things that she's experienced with uh, FQHCs. You know, I, I'm the primary contact for a couple of large hospital uh, systems. And sometimes when you've got such a robust, um, you know, EHR system that houses uh, a variety of locations and departments and multiple providers that are eligible at, you know, many covered entities. One of the things that I've uh, worked with my hospitals to do is to reverse engineer their data, actually. So oftentimes it's uh, custom that covered entity will provide to uh, our strategies a list of providers that are eligible. Well, I'm able to look at their data um, in reverse for them. You know, they receive that list from the credentialing department, but I'm also able to have a review of the EMR or ERX data that they're sending to us to potentially identify any other providers that might have been overlooked or that there was a gap in the date range. Uh, This is the same for locations and departments. You know, perhaps a location or a department code was modified in the ERX system, which could cause a discrepancy between what's mapped on a crosswalk and the data that's coming, uh, which could create some of that fallout. So while the covered entity can see those, you know, in our claims review review tool, uh, we also sometimes can take it out a step further if that's necessary uh, in our partnership with those covered entities. That's a great insight. And, and uh, I see it a lot on the hospital side in the mixed use uh, split billing setting um, where when we bring a client live, the data looks great. Uh, six months, 12 months, 18 months down the road, that data tends to get a little bit dynamic. So I guess just doing those periodic checks to make sure that you know we've, we've dotted our I's and crossed our T's from a, a data standpoint can be uh, incredibly impactful. Brody, any any uh, feedback on any of that? Yeah, just uh, maybe um, some questions to you, Christina, is that I know there's r- not rumors out there, but um, Senator Kennedy from Louisiana just introduced a bill, uh, I think a couple of days ago, uh, called the 3-4-B Transparency Bill. And they're going to force all covered entities, not just FQHCs um, or CHCs, to look after the uninsured patients, but they may be going to force hospitals, your clientele, to look after the indigent patients as well on the pharmacy side. Do you hear any rumors out in the hospital space or do you have any clients now uh, in the hospital space that's doing something for the indigent patients at the pharmacy? Or is that just doing on a medical side? It's really good to know that as well. I do have uh, hospitals that are providing um, options for patients to utilize indigent plans uh, at their contract pharmacy sites. Um, that is something that RX Strategies also can offer. We can customize plans um, both for cash subsidy as well as um, indigent plans. 
Um, I do have hospitals that are utilizing this. The, the ways in which they're able to do that are dependent upon, you know, many things within the covered entities, you know, budgeting and whatnot. But I don't think that this is new for all hospital type covered entities, but certainly it would be new for all of them. So uh, in closing, I guess, are there any other uh, points that other you'd like to raise? Uh, any additional best practices before we wrap, wrap it up today? I would just say with the people who are listing covered entity contract pharmacy, um, when it comes to the third party administrator, uh, communication is key. You want to make sure that you're you're communicating with the with the third party administrator so that we can make sure that the program is working to the way that you want it to work, where your third party administrator will administrate it the way that you'd like it to. Self audits, I like to always touch on, make sure that you're doing your self audit so that if you do have a HRSA audit, you're fully prepared and you're confident when you're having that. I think those would be the the two next I'd touch on. Yeah, Katie, I think those are good points. I just to piggyback on that, I think that probably my best is just to, you know, we're all our own best advocates. I think that if there's something happening and you're kind of aware that it's going on, but you're not sure all of the details, you don't know if it if it impacts you or how it impacts you, um, ask. You know, I think that it's um, a really important thing. You know, 340B really can benefit communities greatly. And I think that just to make sure that you understand what's happening and how it impacts you, if it's, you know, a new restriction or if it's a customizing of the way that your program is configured, you know, any any change that you could make maybe to, um, you know, widen windows or something, making sure that you ask the questions that you need to know um, to understand impact of that or, you know, positive or negative, both to maximize your program or if you want to tighten it up due to, you know, compliance concerns or whatnot. At Arc Strategies, I know that our partnership is really important to us with our covered entities, and we want to make sure that they, you know, all the covered entities understand how our system works and how it's making their, how it's impacting their 340B program. Awesome. Well, that is great information. Um, anything from your side, Rody, before we uh, wrap today? No, I'm good. Uh, thank you, Christina and Katie. Yeah, thanks, Christina, Katie, and Rody for joining us today. Thanks all the listeners for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about RX Strategies or get in touch with us, you can visit us at rxstrategies.com. To view resources, show notes, and access more 340B Insider podcast episodes, visit 340binsider.com. You can also subscribe and listen to our podcast on your favorite app. Until next time, thank you for listening.